just like facts have no place with an organized religion. Michael Graff. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. The zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Oh, you have got to be kidding, sir. First you think of an idea that has already been done. And then you give it a title that nobody could possibly like. The Michael Graff Show. How's the kite, everybody? Goofballs. How would you handle this? We could try ignoring it, sir. I see. Pretend nothing has happened and hope everything turns out all right in the morning. Just a thought, sir. I've considered that. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know, it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. The sky is falling, everybody. Hello. Oh, my God. It's the end of the world. Or something. God, a few countries have a little civil unrest. They have a little uh, rioting, a little bit of uh, protesting, and everybody's ready to just declare this the end of the universe. Or maybe it is. Or maybe people are just worried about the price of gas, which I think is what's on everybody else's mind. All right, welcome in. It's another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show, and we are, we're here. It is uh, Monday, February 21st, 2011, and uh, contact information for the program, as always, Mike at KMGX.com. That is le email address. See, I speak French. See? Yeah. And that's uh, also our PayPal address for your most generous monetary contributions to the program. Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name Michael Groff Show, available for you 24 7, 365. Um, and of course, the one, the only MichaelGroff.com, where you can get interactive, post comments, download the latest shows, get in uh, the mailing subscription so that every time there's a brand new episode of this program, you are bombarded by spam to let you know that indeed there's a new show. It's actually not really bombarded, you get a message. And in the case of my email, one message gets lost in the span of like 60,000 spams that I get. Speaking of that, uh, coming up, I got to tell you about this. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought in the, this is the information age. If there's ever been an information age, we're living in it right now. So you think it's harder for people to get scammed now. You would think so because, you know, the jig is up. Everybody knows what kind of a scam is out there. Like, uh, hello, I'm from Nairobi or I'm from Nigeria. They send you an email. I'm from Nigeria and uh, I happen to be a very, uh, I happen to have come into a substantial sum of money. But I can't legally claim it for, insert fraudulent reason here. But if you could send me... $5,000 for a processing fee, I will get you $1.7 million or something like that. And of course, people fall for that scam, and I don't know how people still do it. But now there's even there's a new scam that's even dumber than that, and that I just can't believe people fall for, and yet people are falling for it. I don't get it. All right, so we'll talk about that. Uh, also, a lot of other stuff uh, to get into. Yes, uh, the unrest in the Middle East and all across the world, apparently. The 
The idea of revolution is spreading. People are getting tired of their governments and they're seeing this spread. And China is really worried about it to the point where they're uh, they're really heavily filtering their internet more than they have in the past. And um, you know, in China, to get information, yeah, we call this the information age. Not in China; it's the whatever we want you to see information age. That's the nation of the 21st century, people. That's the nation that we're, we're putting all of our eggs in that basket. Congratulations. All right, that, uh, we also have to talk about what's going on in Wisconsin. That's a big story. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, lots of protests going on, lots of teachers, lots of fraud, lots of bad examples for teachers to be setting to their students. And the message is, if you don't like what you're getting paid, if you don't like the way things are going, rather than taking it to a higher authority and rather than handling it uh, in the manner of due process, what you need to do is cheat. Uh, that's the best way to get get results. Don't show up to work and cheat and make sure that you, uh, you do so in a civilly... And again, there's nothing wrong with protesting, okay? I don't, I don't want to get the wrong information out here and I don't want to send the wrong impression. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the concept of a protest, peaceable assembly. It is guaranteed in our Constitution, our First Amendment right, and it is something that has been going on in this country since, well, before the founding of this country. So I have no problem with the protest. I have a problem with the manner in which it's being carried out. And I really have a problem with the fact that teachers are just now getting upset about what they're paid. Who goes into the teaching profession? This is just a question that's just been rattling around in my head for the last couple of weeks. Who goes into the teaching profession and goes, you know what, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to get paid. I'm going to get, I'm going to get me, uh, I'm going to get fat, man. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm making a teacher's salary. Yeah. Like who does that? Who sits there and, and goes into the profession to get paid? You know that you get paid like crap when you go into it. And yet people go into it and then they get paid like crap and then they protest. And I know somebody's going to send me an email and go, Mike, you don't understand. It's a much more complicated thing than this. It's, it's about rights. It's about, uh, it's about guarantees. It's about the fact that uh, education is being slashed in the budget by these evil, filthy, dirty, horrible, rotten, awful Republicans that are worse than Nazis. And they're, they're cutting the budget to education. Do you know the kind of money that we spend on education in this country? Do you have any idea how much? Again, I quoted this to you a few weeks ago. Per capita, the United States spends more money on education than any other nation except Switzerland. It's not about how we it's not about how much money we spend. It's about how we're spending the money. And it's about where it's going. It's going in the wrong places. I have no problem with paying teachers a little bit more money. Um, but unfortunately, the way the government schools are set up, it's very difficult to do so. Again, because every time we get on an education rant, people get upset and, and you know, they think that I'm apparently worse than Hitler because um, I dare to question the nature of how we spend the money. And because I dare to suggest that we don't have accountability for students, for teachers, for parents, for administrators, we don't have any levels of accountability set up. If you're a bad teacher and you have tenure in, in a school system, it does, unless you actually rape a student with a plunger sideways, you might only then get a reprimand. Maybe. And if you're a principal, I mean, I don't even know what you do anymore. When we, when I was in high school, we had three assistant principals and then we had a principal. 
One of the assistant principals handled discipline exclusively. Another one handled something like admissions or I don't even know. And I, I sat there and, I, and I, I remember being in the principal's office talking to him for a story I did for the newspaper. And uh, I don't even know what this principal did. He had, he had a pile of papers on his desk. I guess when students got a detention, he signed off on it or something. But I don't know. I used to know what a principal did. Now I don't know. I know that they have like three assistant principals. They have a bunch of secretaries. Each assistant principal has a secretary. Uh, they each have like aides and stuff. So I'm thinking that's a lot of extra fat that doesn't need to be there. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm saying, well, uh, maybe I'm just trivializing the importance of an administrator. But I don't know. I don't think you need that many people. And each one of them makes over $100,000 a year, by the way. So these protests in Madison, Wisconsin, I understand the nature of it and I understand the importance of people's right to protest. And I understand that you don't want to see a budget get cut to a school when you need important things like computers and sometimes you need you know, updated books. God forbid we actually have history books that have you know 50 stars in the flag. Okay. Have I ever told that story on the air, by the way? I think I have. I think I've mentioned this before. So when I, uh, to show you, uh, okay, when I was in first grade, all right, I remember looking through a book and this is in like 1984, all right? So I'm looking through a book and in it, there's the American flag and it has 49 stars. <laughs> and again, this is 1984, I think the print date on this book was like 1952 or something. I, I, so, yes, uh, apparently there was 49 stars on the flag in this book. And there was information about uh, the newly elected president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Or, or the race between him and Adley Stevenson or something like that. So I'm like, wow, this is weird. Because I even as a first grader, I knew that the, the flag had 50 stars. But according to Catalina, which was uh, like Catalina School, which was in the Alhambra district at the time, according to them, circa 1984, the flag had 49 stars. Whoops. So I do understand the need to update books and, um, and, uh, and spend money, but you need to spend it in a way that just makes sense. And these protests, and they're saying, you know, that if these people don't get back to work, they're just going to get fired. And I say, fine. How can you say that, Mike? How can you advocate that you fire people because they're protesting? And say, well, get to work. I know this. Okay, if I work at a, if I work at like a factory, for example, all right, and I don't like the way things are going, and I say, you know what, man? Screw you, dude. I'm not showing up to work today. I'm not coming into work uh, because I don't like the way you're treating me. Uh, all right. So I'm going to stand outside the factory and wave a sign around that talks about how I don't like the way you're treating me. And then the guy goes, all right, well, then you're fired. I mean, that's how it works, you know. But we have teachers' unions. And the unions say, well, you just can't do that. I don't know. I kind of like the way that Ronald Reagan handled it with the, with the whole airline pilots and, and all of that situation back in the 80s. I just like how he said, all right, everybody has to go back to work or, you know, you can all be fired. Even though the president technically can't do that, he made it seem like he could and it worked. Somebody decided to take a position of leadership and they said... Somebody has to do something. Somebody needs to get these people organized and somebody needs to take a stand on this and get everybody back to work. It's hurting the country. And at this point, you know, you need to have the governor of the state of Wisconsin and you need to have the head of these of the teachers union. They need to actually sit down and they need to have a conversation about what's going on. And incidentally, I'm sure there's other fat that can be trimmed from the Wisconsin state budget.
Have you seen the people of Wisconsin? There's a lot of fat there, so I'm sure there's a lot of fat in the budget. I have to get a shot in it, Wisconsin. I mean, come on. You ever watched a Brewers game? I defy you to find me one Brewers fan in the state of Wisconsin that is not technically or clinically obese, who does not have a body mass index of at least 37. Find me one. Find me a thin Brewers fan. And not a convert. You can't like, well, I, well, I'm a Brewers fan, Mike, but I just moved here from Florida. No, that doesn't count. I mean, somebody born and raised in Wisconsin, you know, one of those uh, Milwaukee or one of those cheese heads or any one of those people. So if there's fat on the people, there's got to be fat on the budget. Now, really, though, there has to be. There has to be other areas you can trim. I know here in the state of Arizona, there's lots of uh, issues about the budget. I know that we're having the President Obama has submitted his budget and uh, his really it does not reduce spending nearly enough. The Republicans have a more slash and burn attitude for the budget. And I think that's kind of the direction that we need to go. And uh, of course, we put in a health care system into the budget that, uh, well, that just increases spending at an insane rate. And uh, just I'm just throwing that out there that that's probably a bad idea also. All right, so that's the situation in Wisconsin. I got to tell you about something. Oh, hold on, let me see. Because in my... Uh, my notes here, which apparently won't come up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Uh, Windows Vista shining through like a beacon. So now in Wisconsin, what they're doing is they're having doctors, and I don't even know if they're real doctors, they're writing fake prescriptions for teachers. They're writing fake prescriptions so that uh, these teachers can get out of work so that they can continue to protest per their unions. So uh, here's so what's happening now. So, yeah, they had a, a group of men and women in lab coats purporting to be doctors. They were handing out these medical excuse notes without examining the patients. This doctor is just like this doctor, quote unquote, is out there handing out these these notes willy nilly. And uh, I think that it's um, and this reporter even went out there and said, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher. Can you write me a note? And so, yes. Yeah, so they wrote a, a, a note without even you know examining it. So the note reads something like this. February 19, 2011. Patient's name, date of birth. You know, it's just fill in the blank. To whom it may concern. Uh, and I'll, I'll, again, it's, it reads here, this is confirmed. It's just said, this is to confirm I have seen and evaluated the above named patient. Please excuse from work slash school due to a medical condition from you know, insert date here through insert date here. Please contact me at badgerdoctors at gmail.com if, if, if additional information is needed. Thank you. Sincerely, physician signature, physician name, license number, etc. Based on an examination of the signature and medical license number, one of the men handing out these notes was purported to be James H. Uh, Shropshire, MD, who's a clinical uh, associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So they're, they're examining whether or not this is actually a real doctor and whether or not the, the actual doctor is handing out these notes. But even if that's the case, what does this say? What kind of, if we're teachers, if you're teachers, what are you teaching students? What, are you, what kind of message are you sending? You're saying, hey, it's okay to purport yourself as sick when you're not. If you have a dispute with work, it's okay to pretend that you're ill so that you can get out of working, so that you can protest your, your feelings. I mean, what kind of message is that? If you want to protest, go and protest. But if you're a teacher and you got into the profession of teaching, 
don't you think, and again, I, I, I'm asking this not confrontationally. I'm asking this in, a, in the most sincere and serious way that I possibly can. If you're a teacher and you got in, it's just like a doctor. If you're a doctor, you got into the, prof- the medical profession. If you're a teacher and you got into the teaching profession, aren't you there to teach? Shouldn't your altruistic virtues outweigh your financial worries or your concerns for the overall system? Shouldn't you just want to be in, in class teaching students? Ultimately, isn't that what's most important? If you are, in fact, an altruistic teacher. And again, I'm not asking this to be confrontational. I'm wondering, is what is your motivation then? Is your primary goal to teach just like a doctor, if you're a doctor, you're in the medical profession, is your primary concern is, are you, are you going to abide by the Hippocratic Oath or are you going to, you know, well, I have a dispute with the hospital. Sorry, I won't be in today. Yeah, but we have a patient that needs brain surgery. Well, you know, let him eat cake. Well, actually, all he can do, doctor, is drool. Well, let him drool then. Let him drool and think about eating cake. You know, let him go retarded as far as I'm concerned. I don't really care. Let a, let a PA do it. They, they'll probably be able to get it right. I mean, it's just, just remove the tumor. It's the big thing that's not supposed to be there. It's the big thing, uh, you know, um, look in a textbook or something. I can't be bothered, right? I'm going to the, uh, I'm, I'm going to go and hold a sign up for a couple hours. Then I got a golf, uh, golf date this afternoon. No, really. I mean, I just, it's, it's a question that I really have. I sincerely wonder. If you are a teacher, shouldn't you just go to class, resolve these matters later, um, let the union handle it? I don't know. Whatever. I know someone's going to say, Mike, you're just not informed about this issue. No, to me, it's very black and white. It really is. To me, this is a matter of, okay, you want to cut budget. You want to cut the budget to the schools. I don't know. Uh, I, rather than I, I would, I would find a better way to handle this myself. But this is why I'm not either a teacher or in politics. You know, my solutions are are much simpler. I just find it weird too. The other aspect of this story that I find weird is, so you have this economic time that we're in, where where people we still have nine and a half percent, which is really higher, nine and a half percent unemployment. And people are fighting to get jobs and people are out there struggling right now. And there's just economic strife all over the place. And then you have somebody that's going to sit there and piss away their job or they're going to go out there and protest because they're not getting enough money or their conditions are not right. I just find it weird that anybody would protest at a time like this. What kind of message does that send? I bet there are a lot of people that have college degrees that would be more than happy to go and teach in the schools for even less than these teachers make and undercut what the teachers are making. I would be more than willing to bet that there are a lot of people out there that would love to just swoop in and take those jobs. Do you know that I could take one of those jobs? I don't even have, I'd have to go and get a, a, um, I'd have to go get one of those background checks and I'd have to get like a certificate or something. But I mean, I could be a, I could be a substitute teacher right now just with what I've got, just with my lame college degree. Um, and to get a teaching certificate wouldn't take much more education. I, I have no desire to be a teacher because, quite frankly, um, I, my desire to be t- the problem with being a teacher. I have no problem with teaching the the youths of this country. I, in fact, I I uh, what a lot of you probably don't know is many years ago, 
Um, I almost was a teacher. Um, I was with a girl at the time, and uh, she became a teacher at this charter school. This is about uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. And uh, I met with the principal, and I had a whole curriculum laid out. And I was what was going to happen was I was going to teach like third grade at this school, and uh, I had a whole plan and and everything. Um, the problem was the principal left, and um, then I don't know, just a whole bunch of things and. And then I, I got to thinking about it too, and I thought, well, here's the problem. It's not about teaching the students that's the problem for me. It's interacting with parents that don't give a crap. And I am, I, it would be very hard for me to sit there and tell a parent, well, I, gee, uh, your student is failing uh, math. Well, why? Well, because it'd be really hard for me not to reach across the desk and go, because you don't bother to. Do anything with your stu- with your with your kid every night. You're sitting there and you're watching TV. You dumbass. Like it'd be very hard for me not to just, you know, want to just punch them in the face or or or, or just not, not even that. Just yell at them and say, "Come on, man, raise your kid. You decided to have sex, so you decided to you know engage in that. Then you had a kid. Then you know, rather than give them up for adoption, you, you decided to take on the, the responsibility of being a parent. So this is one of those responsibilities, one of those 18 plus year responsibilities that you have when you have a kid. You just have to make sure that they do their homework. You have to make sure that they stay on track. That is your responsibility as a parent. And when I, because this girl I was with, the, the, the thing was, is that I, I, I would watch her have these conversations And I would sit there and I'd go, she is so much a better person than I am. Except the problem is, is I I really feel like I would be in the right to to yell. And I would want to say, what the F are you doing? Why is your kid? Well, you know, he has his PlayStation and he wants to play that and his Xbox. And I don't know. I mean, is math really that important? Yes, math is that important. You dumb nuts. You know, I mean, really, come on. <laughs> and like, and it's usually half of the time they don't even show up for the parent-teacher conference. They're like, well, I'll just blow that off. It's a parent-teacher conference. Why, why do I need to meet with a teacher? You know, and many, many parents are, are satisfied. And the problem is, is part of it too is it's not even just about bad parents. Sometimes too, because of the economy and everything, parents are working two jobs, hardly at home. Hardly there to make sure that uh, their kids do their homework. So there's a, there's a broad societal issue at play here. This is not as simple as we have bad parents or we have bad students or we have bad teachers or we have bad administrators. It's a whole just it's a cornucopia of, of issues that all need to be dealt with. But the the solution is not throw more money at it. That is absolutely not the solution. And unfortunately, that's what many people think the solution is, including President Obama. He's just like, well, let's spend more money. Again, I, I don't know. I, I always swear whenever I talk about this stuff, I'm not going to go on these rants. And then what happens is I go on these rants. And then I have a three-hour show. So I have to like swear off talking about the education system for a month or something. I, I don't know. One of these days I have to do that. Because if I don't, what's going to happen is this show is going to become extremely repetitive. 
Or it's going to become uh, I, one of these protesting teachers is going to come down here and shoot me. We're going to have a gunfight <laughs> because because they're going to get mad. And because I, I know and I don't mean this in a, in a disparaging way. I don't know everything that's going on in the state of Wisconsin. I, I'm I'm not proclaiming to know everything, but I know that the solution is not spend more money. The solution is better allocation of funds. The solution is more accountability. The solution is a better curriculum. The solution is, uh, is, is, well, again, the solution is really accountability. That's, that should be like first and foremost. But I don't know. Hey, what do I know? I had parents that actually gave a crap. I went through the public education system. I came out of it okay. I went to college. I got a degree. I'm, I'm, what would I know about the proper way to do things? I wasn't the greatest student ever. I was not the valedictorian of, of my high school class, but I was, uh, you know, top 10%. I was an A and B student, did pretty well. I know if I had children, I think I, I would, I would want to actually sit down and look at their homework every night. Uh, I would want to talk with them about school. I know that's kind of lame. Like, oh God, dad, are you going to really talk to me about school? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. I know, imagine that, spending time with your kids. Now, that's kind of dumb. I, I know that that seems really lame. Like, you just want to go out and drink. I understand. You want to go out, you want to go to the bar, you want to throw down, you want to bitch about the wife or the husband. I, I get it. You want to go out there and you want to watch the Vikings lose again. I understand. You know, I, I totally get it. But I don't know. I guess if you're going to have a child... Might as well make sure that they're okay. Listen, you don't have to be super dad, okay? You don't have to go out there and, and be the little league coach. You don't have to you don't have to be like suffocating to your kids either. Don't be like, I'm gonna snoop to their room. I'm gonna make sure that, you know, everything's copacetic there. Yeah. I'm gonna put a monitor on their uh, on their video game. I'm gonna I'm gonna track every single second of every single day. Don't be like don't be creepy parent. Just all that you have to do is just take an interest. It doesn't guarantee that your kid's going to be successful either. You could be a great parent and your kid could still wind up going down the wrong path. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't know this for, for a fact, but I'm sure Benito Mussolini's parents were probably, I don't know, maybe they were good people. I really don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they were scrubs. You know, Adolf Hitler's parents, you know, I think he's going to grow up and be successful. He'll never amount to anything. He's a little piece of crap. Well, I don't know. I mean, he got he got an A on in, in engineering. I don't know. That's pretty good. I mean, he might design the next Volkswagen. He might design a great car one day. No, he will not. Never. You know, with that kind of attitude, he might just grow up to be a really hateful man. He might become like a, the Fuhrer or something, the dictator. He doesn't have the motivation for that either. He's just a lazy layabout. Look at that artwork. It's horrible. It's schlecked. It's bullseizer. You know, I tell you something right now. It's that kind of attitude. I've... Adolf, get your room. Mark Schnell. I don't know. Maybe maybe Adolf Hitler's parents were, were okay people. I mean, they couldn't have possibly known. <laughs> they couldn't have had any idea of what was going to happen. Okay, maybe they could have. But, you know, look... Um, Accountability only goes so far. I mean, you raise your kid and then, you know, you push him out the door or whatever you do. 
And you hope that they're going to spread their wings and fly, or, or in this economy, they're just not. But you still hope that they're going to be good people. And the accountability on the students' part only goes so far, and accountability on, on teachers only goes so far, but you just have to define that accountability. I don't know. That's just part of what's wrong with the schools. Listen, if you don't care, I don't care. We'll just talk about, we'll just talk about the rest of the world going to hell. I wonder how Hosni Mubarak's parents were. Listen. You're never going to get $70 billion that way. Poor guy. All right. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. It's also our PayPal address for your monetary contributions to this fine program. See? Monetary contributions. Hint, wink. Just saying. Uh, AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Graff Show, the screen name. MichaelGraff.com for everything else exciting and Michael Graff related. You are listening to the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. We'll be back. Segment number two. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff show on a Monday. Mike at KMGX.com. The email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. AOL Instant Messenger. The screen name. Michael Groff show. That's the one and only. MichaelGroff.com. For anything else related to this here fine program. Yeah. is spreading across the world. What does it mean for everybody else? Why should America really give a crap? Why should anybody be interested in, in all of this? I actually find it interesting from several perspectives. Number one, this all started in, in Tunisia and it has spread uh, Egypt. You know, they have uh, their situation going obviously under the regime of Hosni Mubarak, who's been there for the better part of 30 years. What's going to wind up happening there? This is one of those things, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum on the show the last uh, few episodes. What will happen is, is uh, we're, of course, afraid of, well, just because we throw out this bum, just because the Egyptians are tired of him and because we get rid of him, who else is who's going to come to power next? It's one of those things that be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And we've heard about this Muslim Brotherhood and how their whole purpose is uh, their charter 
uh, is the extermination of the Jewish state as well and how uh, the United States has propped up Mubarak for the last 30 years because he's been largely friendly to Israel and they have a peace accord with them. And, of course, we're worried about Egypt because they have the Suez Canal and how is that going to affect the price of oil? And, of course, we've talked about that quite a bit. But largely, I think most people would agree that if you don't like your country and if you don't like the way things are going, you have to take you have to take your country back. I mean, that's a, an expression that's been used to death in this country. But I mean, really, this is about a, a nation that has 40 percent unemployment. You have a guy in Hosni Mubarak who has robbed his people of 70 billion dollars. Now, you ask me how a guy who is the president of a country comes into 70 billion dollars and hides it in his Swiss bank accounts. And we give the uh, we give Israel or we give um, Egypt rather we give the Egyptians one point five billion dollars annually in foreign aid. Now, why do we do that? Well, probably because they are friendly toward Israel. Probably because they have uh, the Suez Canal, and probably because we've just decided to prop up this government sort of artificially. Well, good for us. But uh, the problem is, is now you have to be careful of who gets into power. Well, all right. But it's not just there. Now we have revolution going on in Morocco. Everyone's concerned with uh, King Muhammad VI in Morocco. And now these are more peaceable assemblies. Um, not as much violence, although there has been some uh, violence going on in Morocco. I'll say uh, Sunday's protests were a test for King Muhammad VI regime, which boasts that it is more liberal and tolerant than other countries in the region that have uh, had violence and revolution. Now, despite a heavy secret police presence, um, uniformed police stayed in the background as demonstrators carefully avoided overt criticism of the king of the, uh, of, uh, the Islamic. Uh, their chanting was, um, quote, where has the money gone? And again, this is another situation where you have a guy who has supposedly extorted money from his people. Listen, I don't claim to know a lot about Morocco. I don't claim to know a lot about a lot of these countries right now. Uh, another one is, is Libya. Libya has had a major revolution going on. You have uh, um, Muammar Gaddafi's son out there. Now, he's, he's warning of things that are to come. And the Libyans, uh, they say, hey, well, you know, we could just uh, cut off some of the oil. And see, this is where people need to start being concerned. Because once you have countries like Libya, who actually control some oil, yeah, you thought Libya was taken care of in, uh, during the Reagan years. You thought that uh, we, we had a, our fill of Gaddafi and, and everything else that was Libya. No. Now we have to be concerned with like a tribe of people taking over and controlling the oil in that country. And Iran has more protests going on. And uh, of course, you know, the Ayatollah blames the United States. Um, this is spreading, folks. This is going on across uh, Africa, across the Middle East. Uh, this is largely being propelled by what's happened in Tunisia and what's happening in Egypt. And people to their credit, are having their fill of corrupt, brutal dictators, totalitarian governments, and they want something that's a little bit more democratic. Maybe not necessarily like the United States in a, in a constitution, but although some of them are talking about a reformation of a constitution. So, look, I don't know. To me, I think the thing that makes the most sense uh, is 
go ahead. I, I, first of all, I think the United States, we, we just need to stay out of all of this. I realize that um, there's oil involved, and I know that, that that's always a tempting thing, the United States getting its hands in anything that has to do with oil. Once again, doesn't this emphasize the point that we need to stop relying on Middle East oil and, and Africa and other nations for our, uh, for our major uh, imports? D- doesn't this once again sort of verify the point that it's about time that the United States becomes a lot more self-reliant because these kinds of nations are ticking time bombs and they're all going to plunge into revolution and all plunge into chaos eventually. And it takes a while for a new government to take shape. Meanwhile, what happens to the oil during those transitional periods? Well, you're seeing it right now. Uh, I was just seeing yesterday the average price for a gallon of gas in the United States now at $3.15 a gallon. All right. And continuing to go up, the speculation is that by the summer, we'll be heading back toward $4 a gallon oil or $4 a gallon uh, gas. And oil prices are already over $100 a barrel. And um, now at the same time, though, you're seeing stories about how U.S. supplies of gas and oil are at an all-time high and how uh, demand is low right now. And you say, well, how come gas prices continue to go up when supplies are high and demand is low. I thought the supply rule of supply and demand was if there's a lot of supply, a high supply and a low demand that the price goes down. Well, that's not how commodities work. I think we know this by now. The oil biz is a speculator's market. And the speculation here is that supplies are going to be cut. There's going to be a harder time to get supplies. Regardless of what happens in Egypt, uh, there still could be an interruption in supply via the Suez Canal. There could be an interruption in supply from Libya. And we've already it's already been well stated. Uh, remember the uh, Kuwaiti oil minister, that guy, uh, he came out a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and said that $100 a barrel oil prices were here to stay and that the United States and other na- nations just need to deal with it. And they said that they didn't plan to increase production anytime soon. And they were not even going to be examining that possibility until the fall. All of that combines to drive up the price of oil. And you say, why? Well, of course, since it's a speculator's market. Because it doesn't matter what supplies are today and what demand is today. With any investment, it's about the future. And especially when it comes to oil, they're looking at it in terms of How hard is it going to be to get oil next month and the month after? And what happens to supplies next month and the month after? Because, yes, supplies are fine right now, but, okay, what happens if Libya is out of the the picture for a little while or they just decide to lower production? What happens if there's an interruption in the Suez Canal or it gets harder to get oil out of there? What happens then? Well, these supplies are going to go pretty fast. They're going to start to dwindle. We're operating at a surplus, but how long is that going to happen? So that's all part of the speculation of the market, and um, that's something that we need to be uh, concerned about. So that's why the price of gas continues to go up. Also, of course, the, the, the value of the dollar continues to decrease. So this is really, again, but it does reaffirm the position, and this is the problem. Uh, this reaffirms the position that the United States needs to be more reliant on itself. And we need to uh, drill, drill, baby, drill, as they say, here in the United States. 
We have a huge supply that sits under North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana, as well as uh, southern portions of Manitoba. Why, why aren't we drilling? I mean, why aren't we using? Are, are we saving it? Are we saving it for a good? T- like when all these other nations, when they dry up, then then they're going to come to us. Is that is that our plan? Is that our master plan? Of course, environmentalists won't allow us to do it. Uh, we know that we have a president that, even though he did say that uh, you know he was going to open up East Coast drilling even after the Gulf whale spill of last summer. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure what our hesitation is in this country. And uh, this, again, just reaffirms the position. But you can bet that $4 a gallon gas is, again, coming around the bend. It, it, it's, it's on its way. And I also have a side bet on this, a little sidebar prediction. Since the Republicans are in control of the House now, you can be rest assured that the Democrats are going to say, see, this is what happens when Republicans take control. The price of gas goes up. Meanwhile, the two are not even related. But you know that that's going to be a political strategy because the, the Democrats are getting desperate. They understand what's happening. The, the economy is not recovering at the pace they thought it would. President Obama still looks really bad uh, in terms of uh, his new budget Uh, He's looking bad in terms of unemployment because it really hasn't come down that much. People are still, even though the unemployment numbers uh, have come down some, it's more a function of people dropping off the unemployment dole than it is about new jobs being created. And some of the jobs that were created in December that people are boasting about, well, some of those were holiday jobs, seasonal jobs. So you can't really count those. Is the economy getting worse? I don't know if it's getting worse. I would just say it's sort of plateaued or or bottomed out for the moment. But I mean, people talk about a double dip. I, I don't know how you can have a double dip. The first dip hasn't really stopped. Or it has. It's, it's at the, the bottom of the dip. But I don't think you can call a further downtrend a double dip. We haven't come back up yet. In order to double dip, you would have to have a dip and then you would have to like come up out of the dip and then dip again for a double dip. See, English has certain rules. You know, words are supposed to have meaning. I don't know. It's uh, one of those things. I I just hate when economists say double dip. We haven't come out of the first one. We haven't ended this dip. But at any rate, so uh, this is is where we're at right now. And these revolutions that are going on across uh, the world, and that's what I'm going to call them, revolutions, protests, whatever. These are people that have had enough. And they're seeing what's happening in other countries. The internet... Uh, thanks, Al Gore, is helping to spread this information around, except in China. Now, there's there's been some protests going on in China as well, except the Chinese are doing their best to stop those. And since the Chinese government does a very good job controlling their Internet and sources of information, they're going to do their best to stifle anything there. Because any kind of unrest in China, when you have over a billion people, a billion and a half people, it could get dangerous very, very quickly. It could be dangerous for a lot of reasons and for a lot of places around the world as well. Uh, the last thing you need is for some sort of revolution in China, which won't happen, incidentally. Those protests, uh, they'll be around for a while and then they'll go away. It'll be like Tiananmen Square. But in these other nations, even in Iran, I would say that this is, uh, this is definitely a warning sign to these radical totalitarian governments and these crazy Islamic states or these uh, these very, very sort of religious, authoritative leaders, be careful. Then again, I could be, I could be way off in the weeds here. I mean, uh, you never know. Another radical nut job could just take their place. 
They could be like, we want that radical nut job instead of you, you radical nut job. Yes. Especially if the United States gets involved, we'll, we'll make sure that another crazy nutball gets in there. <laughs> Just like we helped the Taliban get into uh, Afghanistan 30 years ago, 33, 34. We fought, we helped Osama bin Laden. Think about it. I mean, we, the United States helped Osama bin Laden 30 some years ago, 32, well, 1978. So 33 years ago, because we hated the Russians more. Rather than just keep our nose out of it entirely, we're like, well, we'll have, we'll choose a side in this one. We'll choose the side that's a little less evil than the Soviet Union. The problem is, is that the Soviet Union eventually collapsed anyway, so it didn't really matter. And in its place, uh, we still had the Taliban after it was all said and done. This is the problem when the United States gets involved in matters that it shouldn't. We have these radical situations. And uh, I, for one, am tired of it. Just like my policy now, and this has been sort of my, my paradigm shift in my own ideology the last several years. Man, once we're done, and, and I really think, I mean, okay, I, I think we should really be done with Iraq and Afghanistan. And once we leave there, let's never go back there. Let's never go back. You want to trim the budget. Let's get rid of all these bases all over the place. Let's get rid of all these bases that we have in uh, these military bases the U.S. has in, in Afghanistan, in Germany, in South Korea. If you want us in your country, if you want a, a United States security force there to help guard your country, you need to pay us. We're, I'm, I'm more than happy for the United States to be a rent-a-cop. I don't mind that. Actually, you know what? I, even I mind that. I mean, if, if it's like the situation because the problem is we had, a, we had Kuwait. And in 1990, uh, Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait because... He thought himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. So he wanted to sort of reunite ancient Babylon. And so, so he brings, so he goes and he invades Kuwait thinking it's his uh, because he was a crazed nutbag. And the United States says, well, we can't be having this. This is another oil-exporting country, and they're asking for our help. So the United States and a coalition of 40 nations goes and helps Kuwait. And we drive Saddam back, and then we don't even kill him. We don't capture him. We just, we're like, the, the United Nations says, in their infinite wisdom, they, uh, they tell President Bush, all right, you know, <laughs> we're done here. Everything's good. He's learned his lesson. General Norman Schwarzkopf is the guy that tells President Bush, he's like, listen, I got 250,000 troops outside of this palace that Saddam Hussein is in. I got 250,000 troops here. We could blow this guy to kingdom come. We could storm in there and take him alive. We could do all, we could take this over right now. What do you want to do? President Bush capitulates to the unit. He's like, hey, not going to date, not going to date, not this junction, not, not, got, gotta, gotta listen, gotta do the, the diplomatic thing, you know? Good old George H.W. He says, well, all right, so we're done. So uh, then, um, what happens? Well, Kuwait's free. Did we did we charge Kuwait anything for? Did we send them a check? Did we say, all right, Kuwait, well, uh, thanks. Uh, we, we've helped you out. Now, here's the bill. You owe us a trillion dollars, as it turns out. No. We did it out of the goodness of our hearts, apparently. And instead, the United States, we spent, I don't even know how many in those, uh, in 1990 dollars, I don't even know how much money we spent on the Persian Gulf War. But I would have to, wager that it was in the hundreds of billions you would think i mean we, we spent a lot of money didn't charge them 
we uh, we went over there. We helped out. Um, we helped in Kosovo. We got our our nose stuck in that whole thing. No, didn't you? We we've gotten involved in all these different things. We helped Iraq in nineteen in the in the mid eighties. Uh, we helped Iraq fight against Iran. We helped Saddam Hussein, a guy that we tried that we later deposed uh, eighteen years later. We're always on the wrong side. We helped the Ayatollah. We helped all these countries. So let's just stay out of it this time. Could we could we just sit back and watch from afar? Well, Mike, what happens if a radical gets in there? Well, so be it. What what if he goes in there and starts cutting off the oil? Well, if he cuts off the oil, where is he going to get his money from? See, this is again why being self-reliant is better because it, what we should be saying is, well, if he cuts off the oil, let him eat cake. Let him all starve. To, let him eat sand because they got that in abundance over there. Let them eat sand. We've got our own oil. Thanks for playing. I don't know. I, I'm, I guess I'm just spewing a pipe dream more than anything else here. I think that's really what's going on. All right. Uh, can, we, yeah, can we go back to the dialogue between Hitler's parents again? Because that was, <laughs> that was far better. All right. Um, Mike at KMGX.com email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. So here's a uh, here's something interesting. So this is some of the uh, Michael Graff show stupid news file, but this is a little bit weird. So the story comes from Portland. So we've all heard stories. We've done stories on this show about shoplifters before. And some people steal crazy things. Uh, I remember the story last year, a guy uh, stole a $80, he stole like an $80 steak or something from a store. And then when he was caught, he claimed that he was massaging the meat. You know, he wasn't stealing, he was just massaging it. And there's been uh, people, some people have stolen literally a 70 cent can of tuna. You know, but here's a real interesting shoplifting case. Two people, shoplifted over several months from Safeway. They stole over $5 million in merchandise from stores in the Portland metro area. This would be Portland, Oregon. Police arrested Richard Laverne Remington and Angela Rose Evans on Tuesday. And the couple was arraigned in uh, Malt, what is this? In Malt, Multnomah County Circuit Court. The probable cause affidavit showed that Safeway began formally tracking the pair last November after suspicions surfaced uh, that they had been shoplifting. Now, here's the weird thing. All right. The weird part of this story is how Safeway went about tracking them, which I'll get to in just a second. Evans tells police that the couple stole mostly common items like shampoos, razors, Rogaine, Teeth whiteners, conditioners, batteries, DVDs, CDs, etc. They also said that uh, they stole DVDs on 22 different dates since November. The court document said that the store, here we go, the store surveillance cameras followed Remington uh, involved in, a, in 103 thefts between November 19 and January 4th, and that Evans was present in more than half of those incidents. Now, again, okay, so that's uh, 103 incidents. Five million bucks? I mean, think about that. 103 incidents and five million dollars. 
You're stealing $50,000 in merchandise per? And that's my math anyway. That's because 100 and, uh, because five, 50,000 times 100 would be 5 million bucks. So you mean in 100 times you go and shoplift? That's, I mean, that's pretty good. That's, that's really maxing out your shoplifting thefts per attempt. It's pretty interesting. Investigators say that the couple would go to several Safeway stores a day and shoplift. They actually used a, a shopping list for the thefts provided by a suspect still being uh, sought out. Now, Safeway security officer Trent Drucker estimates that Remington stole $400,000 a year in merchandise over several years, totaling $5 bucks over the span of the thefts. See, even so... So, I mean, that's an insane, you would have had to shoplift like almost every day to get that, especially if you're stealing razors because razors are what a buck, a couple of bucks each. I mean, even like the nice ones that I use, like those mock threes, those are still, I mean, yeah, they're not cheap, cheap, but you know, how do you steal? Like, how does somebody not see you do it? Do you just casually walk in, fill up a cart and just walk out the door and nobody says anything? Must be. I can't imagine you put them under your shirt. Boy, that guy's a lot fatter walking out than he was walking in. I don't know. Maybe he stopped at the deli. Well, it could be. On November 19, Safeway security officials placed a tracking device on a van driven by the couple. This is where it gets interesting. Whenever the van was driven to a Safeway, surveillance videos were carefully scrutinized. In the weeks following, Safeway officials created a spreadsheet of locations and thefts, which they presented to Portland police. The couple was arrested outside a Safeway store in Portland's Woodstock neighborhood. Both suspects remain in jail after their arraignment. Their next court appearance is scheduled for February 25th. Remington had an outstanding felony parole violation. He was accused of organized retail theft and multiple first-degree theft charges. Evans was also accused of organizing retail theft and multiple counts of first-degree theft. Now, the story is, okay, they shoplifted a bunch, fine. But Safeway putting a tracking device on their vehicle? Now, uh, we all know that the police aren't even allowed to do that. The government isn't even allowed to do that without probable cause and without attaining warrants from an appropriate judge. So how does a private corporation do that and get away with it? See, this is the only problem. I have no problem with arresting people that shoplift. Okay, fine. But is Safeway within their rights to put a tracking device on somebody's vehicle? See, this is the problem. This is why I bet these two people, I bet they get a lawyer. I bet uh, they'll get a... Um, you know, some some type of uh, some type of shyster attorney that they're going to get. And actually, not even a real shyster attorney. They're going to get an attorney that's going to go, wait, hold, hold, wait a minute. OK, you track them with your surveillance cameras. Fine. I don't think anybody's going to argue. I bet if I'm a lawyer, I get up there in front of the judge and I go, you know, your honor, people of the jury. There's no doubt that my clients stole merchandise from Safeway. However, there's no precedent for Safeway to install a tracking device on a vehicle driven by these suspects. You can't just you can't just willy-nilly put a it's it'd be it's no different from me walking outside my house and putting a tracking device on my neighbor's car. And then sitting here, that's that's tantamount to stalking. 
And you could say, well, Mike, I mean, they had cause. I mean, okay, yes, they had cause, but they're they're a, a corporation. They're not the police. So the question then remains, do they have the authority to install a tracking device on someone's vehicle? That is going to be a very fascinating case. Because I could certainly see a civil, uh, like one of these uh, civil libertarians stepping forward and, and uh, representing these two. And again, there's no doubt they're scumbags. I mean, they stole money. They stole five million bucks in merchandise, which is weird, too. It's like, OK, you, you, you shoplifted once. If I had the mindset of a shoplifter, which I don't, I, I've never shoplifted my whole life, not even as a little kid. Never. I have never stolen anything. I, I, I got weirded out. Like I would sometimes bring a pen home from work when I was like 15. I had a job like at the weather service or something. I would, I, I brought like a pen home. I'd feel weird about it. So I don't know. I'm not really a, a thief, but if I had the mindset of it, man, the first time I got away with it, I'd be like, all right, I'm never doing that again. And I would hope that it would never happen. Like I would never be caught and I would hope that, I, you know, I'd be like, oh man, okay, I got away with it. But 103 thefts, stealing 400,000 gur per year worth of merchandise. Wow. I don't know. It must have been like, it must have been like just taking the garbage out for these guys. Well, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Safeway today. All right. We're going to go to several of them today. Steal a whole bunch of stuff. And like they got away with it for quite a while too. I mean, you'd think after a while they would have stopped, but I, 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 you know, it's, it's the criminal mindset too, though. You do something, you do it once, you do it again. You think, well, I'm always going to get away with it because I've done it now a couple of times. I've done it like 10 times. Nobody's caught me. Why not do it a hundred? The criminals don't understand that each time is like a roll of the dice. Each time you could theoretically be caught. All it takes is either a cop being in the right place at the right time. I mean, so many circumstances could work against you, but criminals never think that way. So again, there's no doubt that these people are scumbags, but at the same time, Safeway, man, what a case that's going to be. I can't wait to see how that turns out. Some lawyer, and these they're going to get away with it. And this is the, the message here to corporations and the message to anybody is, if you suspect people are up to shenanigans, get the police involved. Just call the police. Call somebody else. Get get your lawyers on it. Do something. Don't take the law into your own hands because what's going to happen is if they say that Safeway engaged in you know illegal, uh, if they engaged in stalking, for example, or whatever, I mean, the whole thing could theoretically get thrown out. Theoretically. Or there could be a plea agreement. I don't know. And you know who winds up having to pay for it? By the way, me. You, anybody that goes to Safeway, yeah, those uh, those razors aren't going to be cheap. I mean, they weren't cheap before. They're going to be even more expensive. Well, we got to make up the cost. We just took a, a $5 million hit. I, mean, I wonder what you would do with $5 million in merchandise, though. I mean, did they turn around and sell it? doesn't really say. I, I mean, you can't use that many razors. I mean, some of the DVDs, I guess, you could have recovered. I mean, they probably have like cat urine on them or something. I can't imagine that two people that stole regularly from Safeway are living in the in the best of conditions. Just put it outside. Put it down there behind the, the moonshine. Put it out there. Just put it behind the, the car we got stuck on cinder blocks. 
love to see what uh, what these two look like. Hi, <laughs> living in Portland. Couple of like those Pacific Northwest hippies going and man, we gonna steal ourselves some good stuff. Probably they're probably. Hey man, dude, you know it's a big corporation, man. They, dude, they're not gonna notice nothing, man. You're not gonna know we stole some stuff, man. They're just a heartless, nameless, faceless corporation, man. It's cool. The woman, like, he's fifty-two, she's thirty-two. Yeah, man. They're like just sitting back, smoke. Yeah, you know, man. Yeah. Let's think of all this money we're saving, man. We could go out and buy a lot of cocaine with this, man. <laughs> Hug some trees, steal from a corporation, dude. Life is great. Man, bra. It's the mindset there. Oh well. All right, so uh, <laughs> that's that's a great story though. Company, company going all tech. All right, now here this is a, this is a story, and then we'll uh, take a break, and uh, we'll come back. We'll do the pop chart too. We got to do. We got to get to the pop chart. But first. So this is, I mentioned at the top of the show how this is the age of information and how it just seems weird that anybody could get scammed anymore, especially like the oldest scam in the book. And this really is like, this is a scam. I mean, you used to hear about this scam like 25 years ago. The old story about how somebody claims that they have a winning lottery ticket. Okay. They have a winning lottery ticket, they have it, but they can't cash it because they're an illegal alien. So they say, I'll sell you this winning lottery ticket for X amount, you know, 5,000, 10,000, whatever. And it's always the same thing. It's always like a Spanish speaking person. And they usually scam like other old Hispanic people or something. They, this, is, this goes on a lot. And th this particular story happened in Florida, from Kissimmee, Florida. So to be more specific, a 64-year-old victim emptied out her savings account from her Wachovia Bank and the Bank of America account after a young woman claimed that, yes, she was an illegal alien, unable to cash a winning lottery ticket, and so she said, hey, I'll sell this to you for $14,500. And of course, old people, I don't know, I don't know what it is, like you immediately, like my mom is 61 years old. You know, I can't see her falling for that. Hell, I can't see my 90-year-old grandmother falling for that. Or my 88-year-old grandmother. I cannot see them falling for this. I mean, they may not... I mean, they're all pretty sharp, though. They may not be totally up on all the scams and all the sophisticated things that go on. I mean, they may not be completely savvy to every single type of scam. But I think even they would go, gee, that doesn't make sense. But if the average old person is this easy to scam, I mean, it's, I hope I, maybe I hope I don't live to be old. Imagine your mind just goes, you're like, well, today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to just empty out my life savings to somebody because why not? Quote, they're always 60 or older. They're always Hispanic. And they're always approached by two people, said Kissimmee Police Sergeant uh, Sathish Natarajam. Well, there's a mouthful. Whatever happened to Bob Smith? Anyway, 
Uh, this uh, police sergeant investigated the eight to ten cases a year that happen in the area. They always seem to involve Walmarts, Kmarts, and an occasional Publix. The larger stores, and uh, they also hit them in the parking lot. So what happens is, so in this particular case, this happened in Kissimmee, Florida. Somebody's out in a parking lot, and, and somebody approaches them. It's See, what happens is these younger Hispanic people, they walk up to older Hispanic people, you know, because they're going to understand their plight. Okay, you know, I'm here illegally. I want to sell you this ticket. It's a winning lottery ticket. It's worth, you know, X, 14500 Buy it. Scam. Anyway, so that's, uh, let's see. Arrests rarely happen because the scam artists rarely strike in view of security cameras or go with the victims inside banks where they might be spotted, where they might be filmed. So in recent years, victims across greater Orlando include numerous retirees, at least one minister, as well as, uh, as, well as, a, a, as a, an Oki man who lost $20,000. Many do not report the thefts out of embarrassment and fear that their adult children will think that they are senile, according to several police agents. Because you are. I mean, I'm sorry. No, no offense here. And I don't mean this in any disparaging way to you, uh, to elderly folks who get scammed like this. But, um, like, I, I mean, at what point? I mean, I, I, it's great that people are still trusting in this day and age. And, and maybe I've become too senile. I mean, I'm willing. I've been labeled that. A thousand times, okay? And I, I get it. I, I might be a little too cynical, but I, I'd rather be cynical and still keep my my meager amount of money than be completely optimistic, uh, Kool-Aid drinking, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses wearing and be completely penniless because I got scammed by some jackass. The victim this time had just left Walmart in uh, Oscolia Parkway. When a woman speaking with a Colombian accent claimed that her illegal immigration status prevented her from cashing her winning lottery ticket, police records say. That's when her accomplice walked by and offered $30,000 cash for a share of the ticket. In short order, the 64-year-old woman offered to contribute her savings toward buying the ticket, according to Natarajan. After driving the woman to both her banks... The scammer stopped outside Sedano's supermarket on South John Young Parkway, John Young Parkway, to let her cash the ticket. By the time she discovered it was worthless, the scammers holding her $14,500 were gone. See ya. The only description the victim could give was that one of the thieves was a short, casually dressed, light-skinned Hispanic man in his 30s, and that the other was a short woman with long, curly hair and a Colombian accent, which I'm sure those will be very easy to spot in Florida. Hispanic people, Florida, where would they come from? Anyone who recognizes the suspects is asked to call Crime Line 407-423-8477. Quote, they're, they're always gone before anyone calls us, Natarajan said. I think they pick older generations because maybe they're a little more trusting. A little more trusting and a lot more senile. That's sort of the problem. I really, I don't know. I'd like to think that my grandparents wouldn't uh, fall for this, like my grandmas wouldn't fall for this. Like great uncles, 
Older people in my family wouldn't fall for this. I'd like to think so. But I don't know. I'm thinking about it and I go, you know, my, my, one of my grandmas always enters into these sweepstakes. She always, she, ent- I mean, I don't know. She doesn't do it so much anymore, but growing up, she always entered every, every single sweepstakes that came along, sending out all these, all this information about herself. And I, and I, even as a kid, I would always go, well, they're just collecting information on you. She's like, no, 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 you can win something, blah, blah, blah. She'd always say you can win. You, you know, I, you never know. Sure enough. My grandma won a car in one of these sweepstakes and like a real car. It wasn't like you win a car, send us five grand and you, the car is yours. No, it was win a car, come and pick it up. And she did. And she picked it up. And she, I mean, like a real car, not a clunker. It didn't explode when she turned it on. It, it wasn't like one of those uh, zonks from uh, from uh, let's make a deal. It was a real car. And, and, you know, I mean, the rest of us in the family who thought my grandma was crazy for entering those sweepstakes, we had egg in our face. Of course, she had to pay the taxes on it. Whoops. It was like a $20,000 car. You have to pay the taxes on it because that's suddenly income that you got. But okay, you know, I mean, still small price to pay. What do you have to pay on that? Like three, four grand in taxes probably. All right, well, there's just a word to the wise. If uh, some Colombian uh, or some just general, if like Hispanics walk up to you and you're an old person and uh, they're like, hey, I've got a winning lottery ticket for you. Might be time to, you know, call the police. Just saying. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. EFNet IRC, Net Radio, the channel. You want to participate and hang out over there, too. MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. You can donate to our fine program. Yes, I understand yeah. every life must be end, uh-huh. As we sit alone, I know Our PayPal address also, Mike at KMGX.com. Your monetary contributions to this program are always encouraged. If you use Dwalla, we also have a Dwalla account. D-W-O-L-L-A. And I believe that's also Mike at KMGX.com. Donate, please. Some folks just have one. Yeah, others they got none. All right, we will uh, be back. The third segment coming up. We'll take a look at the pop chart. Which will make us all cry inside. I die a little every time I have to go through the pop chart. And uh, we'll be back. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Monday. More coming up. never going to let me Under everything, just another human being. in this world to make me
fixing all the problems that you made in your own head. But it was not your fault but mine, and it was your heart on the line. I really put it up this time, deny my dear, deny my. What he says in that edited out part. Third and final segment, the zip code famous Michael Grav show. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address for your most generous monetary contributions to this program. Mike at KMGX.com. Wink, wink. Hint, hint. You want to use Dwala? Also over there. Now learn from your mother. AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name, Michael Grav Show, available to you 24-7, 365. You can always contribute that way. Uh, email, messenger, whatever. Uh, also, michaelgraf.com. The one, the only, michaelgraf.com for everything else. Michael Grav related. And now, musical interlude. Might as well enjoy this musical interlude until we get to one that's not quite so enjoyable. Bunford and Sons, ladies and gentlemen. Better the latest jabs of the zip code famous Michael Graf show, everybody. Hey. I believe that's a banjo. And it was your heart on the line. I really did up this time. Deny my dear. Well, it's the radio edit. What do you Deny want? Deny you know? my dear. All right. On that note, though, speaking of radio edits, oh, it's everybody's favorite time of the week. Here we go. Why not? Oh. Yeah. Uh, time to get sad in our pants. Every week on this show, once a week, we try to take a look at the top 10 songs in the world of pop music. Yes. Top 40 radio stations all across the country, they play music. And, well, these are the 10 most played songs on those stations each and every week. So. Yeah. Number 10 is uh, Pitbull, Hey Baby. Yeah. Oh, featuring T-Pain, by the way. Yeah. Well, this is awful. 
Does it ever break? Like, do they use it to the point where it overloads? I'd love to hear the raw audio of these recordings. I bet it sounds atrocious, even more atrocious than the final product. Unfortunately, I'd like to tell you it gets better from here, but it doesn't. Uh, at number uh, nine this week, it's almost off the chart, and we can be somewhat thankful for that. But it's uh, Kesha. We are who we are. break this song down. I don't know why I'm bothering. Yeah. Like, if you break this song down, stockings ripped all up the sides, glitter on the eyes, looking sick, sweet and sexified. There's nothing sexified about a broad wearing like a 24-year-old Wearing ripped stockings and glitter on her eyes. Like, it makes you look like a whore. Like, I, last I checked, looking like a whore was a bad thing. I, I don't know. Am I I'm missing a trend in fashion? No, looking like a whore is a good thing, Mike. You, you're, you're way out of the loop. All right, it gets better, though, because at number eight... When she's not wearing a suit of meat, she's uh, in the recording studio. And uh, this would be uh, the latest from Lady Gaga. I haven't even heard this yet. It doesn't matter if you love him. It's called Born This Way. H-I-M. Yeah. Just put your paws up. Yeah. Because you were born this way, baby. Yeah. Eventually, I'm going to know all the words to this song, too, because Lady Gaga songs are generally infectious, but I don't know. Maybe she's lost me on this one. 
number seven. She was born this way. I don't know if she was born that way. I, I'm still kind of halfway convinced Lady Gaga's a dude. I, I kind of think so. Anyway, number seven, it's Far East Movement with a very, very masculine song. Rockstar. Can't do that today, apparently. <laughs> All right, at number six, it's uh, little, little, uh, I puked a little bit there. Little gentlemen, number six <laughs> with a bullet. It's uh, yeah, three times by. Uh, Girlfriend beater extraordinaire, Chris Brown, everybody. Where yells and screams and anything—it works everywhere. It's universal. That works too. <laughs> All right. And number five—it's the latest from Pink. Now. I'm not sure what to make of this exactly, uh, but this is called, I guess it's called Effing Perfect. I haven't heard this song either. Sounds like a very serious song. Let's go. The very soft side of pink. Yeah. Welcome to Be very Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, please don't you ever, ever feel like you're less than, less than perfect. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, please if you ever, ever feel like you're nothing, you are perfect to me. You're so mean. 
so that's uh, the latest from Pink. Uh, that's actually at least tolerable. It doesn't sound like every other song. It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not way up here in the reddest of Yeah. You need some oh in there. Come on. Oh. You need some of that in these songs. That's that's what you really need. All right, meanwhile, number four, it's a song that is played way, way, way too much. It's Katy Perry and Firework. Baby, you're a firework. Let your colors burst. Make him go ah, ah, ah. I don't even know what the hell you're saying. Yeah, she's saying that. Uh, from uh, what I understand, also, I have a, I have a different version of the song. This is actually a more dancey version. Whatever. Comes a rainbow. Three straight uh, females on the pop chart this week because, well, um, I wonder if I actually, if, if it's even queued up in here. I don't think it is. Hold on a minute. Maybe it is. All right, Britney Spears is at uh, number three with uh, Hold It Against Me. Goodness. Live mixing on the spot, folks. Iglesias, I think, featuring like 900 different artists, including I think Ludacris and Pitbull and. Uh, Anybody that would just step into the studio with him and uh, help and make this masterwork. Ever heard of too many cooks spoiling the broth? Well, not Enrique Iglesias because this is tonight at number two. I think this is a great song. Ooh. Very masculine. Horrible. The number one song of the nation. Well, since I have it convenient, I might as well play the drum roll, even though it's been the number one song for like eight weeks or something ridiculous. All right, folks, the number one song of the nation. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's Bruno Mars with Grenade.
just the entire music scene in general is going down the tubes or if it's just the pop chart. So I'm going to I'm going to look over here at the chart, uh, which is somewhat closer to the format that we used to run uh, one of our stations on back when uh, we had this show on uh, KMGX, which is a program, a station that I programmed for many years. And uh, I'm just going to look over here and I see that, uh, let's see, the script, I don't even think we have that song. Plain White Tees. Like most of these songs that are on the on the Hot AC chart are still better than what's on the pop chart. So I'm just looking here. Like a lot of these songs are, are a lot better than uh, what's over there. Thank God. Thank God there's, there's some semblance of halfway decent music still left, but it's not on the pop chart. So once again, folks, there you have it. That's our daily or our weekly look into the sad state of the musical biz. And uh, it's the uh, it's the pop chart. Thanks for uh, thanks for participating. Yeah. All, right. All right, and that brings us to the Michael Graff Show stupid news file. And uh, there's a city in Massachusetts that has become so corrupt. The, there's so many bad cops in the city that they'll the city is no longer bringing lawyers to help defend the police. They uh, they refuse to pay for attorneys to uh, help defend the police. There's so this is going on in Lawrence, Massachusetts, apparently, where Mayor William Lantiga says that he will no longer pay legal bills for police officers being sued, including the bills for those officers involved in nine brutality cases pending in U.S. District Court. The mayor says that over the past three years, the city has spent $1.2 million to defend officers in civil cases. Instead, Lantigua says that he will hold to the police union's contract, which says that the city only has to pay the $5,000 retainer for a patrolman and a $7,500 retainer for a superior officer. Lantigua uh, says that officers have two options when they are being sued to use one of the three city attorneys or have their unions pay for their defense. Quote, from day one, this should never have been allowed. We cannot continue to uh, do business as usual, Antigua says. But he also has hired his own outside counsel to defend the city against a complaint filed by the patrolman's union which uh, uh, the state's division of labor relations. Now, here's what's going on. The 10-count complaint alleges that Lentigua's decision to cut the legal payment is, quote, designed to punish the union and its members for exercising their collective bargaining rights. You have a situation where there's just so many bad cops that people are suing them left and right for police brutality, for various violations, and now the city is saying, well, we're not going to pay. So the union says, we're going to sue you for not paying for our attorneys. Boy, would I love to be a lawyer in Massachusetts right about now. Must be getting major bucks. You're either getting major bucks because you're you're on the side of a guy that's been beaten by a police officer. You're on the side of the police officers union. You're on the side of the city or you're just somehow mixed up in this corrupt legal wrangling that's going on in the city. That's unbelievable. A long-standing uh, past practice and a city ordinance mandates that employers, including police officers, be identified against legal judgments pertaining to the performance of their duties to the maximum extent permitted by law. 
According to Lantigua's office, the city has paid $471,374 to Dwyer and Duddy, the legal firm used by the Patrolman's Union, and $37,318 to McDonald and Associates, which represents the Superior Officers Union in the fiscal year that ended last June. That's a lot of legal bills. You might say, well, the cops get sued here and there. Look, cops, usually when a cop appears in court, it's just because of a traffic ticket or it's because of some, you know, moving violation or some type of minor thing. Or even if there's actually an there, uh, there's an allegation of impropriety, usually it's thrown out right away. When you're starting to have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in a fiscal year for legal defenses, that kind of tells you that the police officers, uh, that you've got a problem. You've got a real burgeoning issue in the city. Antigua has hired Philip Boyle, an attorney from the private Boston firm Morgan Brown and Joy, Morgan Brown and Joy, uh, to fight the union's complaint with uh, the state. Last year, the city paid fifty-three thousand one hundred eighty-six dollars to Morgan Brown and Joy. That's a lot of legal bills. In many of the city cases, the city police department, police chief John Romero, and individual officers are named. The city recently settled one police brutality case agreeing to pay $400,000 to the plaintiff, but admitted no wrongdoing. Yeah, we didn't do anything wrong. Here's 400 grand. Go away. Six civil trials, including police officers, are scheduled to go forward in the next six months, according uh, to one brutality, or including one brutality case against Officer Ivan Resto, which is supposed to start this week in federal court. These cases have the potential to result in expensive judgments or settlements that could ultimately be paid by the taxpayers. So this is what happens. You hire attorneys or you hire uh, police officers who are just so bad, it winds up costing the taxpayers ultimately in the end. And so it's probably time for a cleaning of house. We get a new police chief there in Lawrence, Massachusetts. See what else here. Anything else? Uh, December 16, 2010, city attorney Charles Bodie or body uh, sent a certified letter to the patrolman's union uh, law from Dwighter and Duddy stating, quote, effective immediately. The city of Lawrence uh, was discontinuing use of the firm in the defense of Lawrence patrolman against claims brought by third parties arising out of their employment. Payments to the firm have clearly exceeded contract negotiations or contract obligations and are an unwarranted burden on the municipal budget. Detective Alan Andrews, Patrolman's Union President, and Lieutenant Scott McNamara, McNamara, wow, uh, who leads the Superior Officers Union, were unavailable for comment on this story. Well, look. What's going on, man? You got a you got a very get a very corrupt situation over there, and the taxpayers are ultimately going to foot the bill. And uh, you know, as as they all say, uh, who will police the police? And in this case, not the city. Uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna defend these people anymore. So uh, the union's gonna have to do it. Um, ultimately, you know, the problem is it's all going to come out of the taxpayers' pockets, regardless of who pays for it. Because the police union, where does that money come from? Well, it comes from the police. Police officers, they pay their union dues. Where do those union dues come from? Well, they come from their salary. Who pays Who pays their wage? Well, the taxpayers. So one way or the other, 
you're going to get it. That's the um, that's the problem with the current situation there. All right, well, that's about it. Very uh, uplifting stories today. We got civil unrest going on across the world. We've got um, we've got the education system. We've got the protests going on in Madison, Wisconsin. We have corrupt police officers that are so corrupt that the city no longer will even pay their legal defense team. We have uh, we have old people getting scammed left and right by people. You want to buy a lottery ticket? I sell it to you for fourteen thousand dollars. It's a winner, but I am illegal, so I cannot cash it. Like, and then the pop chart, which was the most horrifying part of the whole day. Never mind civil unrest. Never mind anything. The uh, the pop chart. That's that's the part that scares us all. Makes us all very very sad. All right. On that uplifting note, we should do happy stories, like feel-good stories. We should talk about Mrs. Zellner's garden down the street. It's, it's very good. She's got some azaleas going, and her lantana bushes are looking outstanding. It's the Michael Groff Gardening Hour. Well, if you want to plant your ficus trees, I think now, now I, I don't think I don't anticipate many more hard freezes in Phoenix. Although I expect some other hard things. <laughs> it's the Michael Groff Gardening Hour. So, you've got some orange blossoms that are going to be coming in very soon. Those oranges are going to be ripe for plucking very soon. And some, I like dandelions myself because they're dandy. We could do the uplifting show instead of the depressing hour. We could do the Michael Grav gardening show. Call in with your gardening questions. Oh, I know. That's my brother's department. He's the guy with the green thumb. Me, I don't know anything. He should do the podcast. I don't know. The Michael Grav gardening hour would be outstanding. Right next to the, what did we want to do years ago? The Michael Grav power nap segment where it's just a segment of me taking a nap. That was a good idea I had. What else was there? There was the um, the call and advice show. Like you call me with any problem and I'll uh, resolve it for you. Even if I know nothing about it, like you call me and go, listen, um, I don't know how to tell you. I got, uh, I've got testicular cancer, Mike. What should I do? I don't know. Smoke a bowl. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, man. Listen, uh, my uh, my wife is nagging me. All right, get a new wife. What do you want from me? All right. See you next time. Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address. Donate, donate, donate. Did I mention donate? Tune in next time when you hear me say donate. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show, the screen name, and the one, the only, michaelgroff.com for everything else that's Michael Groff related in this entire universe. Thanks for the pop chart for making me cleanse my stomach of anything I've eaten for the past two weeks. See you next time. Have a great night, everybody.